Mark chapter 10 for our study this evening. We're going to shift out of Job just for this evening as I needed a break from that heavy duty and do a series that we've been doing on Wednesday nights. We've been going through the gospel of Mark and we're coming to a text I thought would be appropriate text just for this evening as you do a brief or Bible study in Mark chapter 10. Uh, let me start off with this comment. Okay, that in the world today, we say that we are one of the most advanced nations in the world, and yet, how do we treat children in our society? Interesting statistics of what's going on in this culture and where we're at in America. Every 25 minutes, there's a child born in America who is already addicted to some type of opioid. When we talk about it, kids in America at this point, one out of four uh, girls, one out of six boys, are, the statistics say that they are abused before they reach the idea of being majority age, that they've been sexually abused. Most of that is happening by a family member. When we talk about in our, in our society, at least three million, some say up to seven million, but the bottom figures, three million new cases every day, every year, are going to the child protection agencies to try to get involved in protecting the children here in America. Two-thirds of those who are in some type of substance abuse program, they say that when they were a youngster, they were abused or neglected as a child. With statistically, 14% of those in prison, the males, 36% of the women in prison, say that when they were a child, they were abused by some parent or somebody taking care of them. We go a little bit further and say, what's happening to kids in America? There's this fact that every day, four children in America die of neglect or abuse. When we do another fact, 70% of those children who die because of that are under the age of three years of age. In, 19, uh, in, in 2017, there was 862,000 uh, abortions performed. This is declared to be a really, really good statistic. If you read about modern uh, updated figures, they look and they say, this is fabulous, only 862,000. We look and say... 862,000 is absolutely appalling. But they're coming from a point of view that says it's down from 926,000 just three years earlier. When you talk about the abortions, 59% of those who are having abortions in 2017 have already birthed a child and are raising a child. When you talk about abortions, 24% of the, of the ladies under age 45 here in America, 24% have had an abortion at some time in their life statistically. So when we talk about children in the treatment, we sit here and say, we're, we're doing as a, as a country, we are doing phenomenal. Oh, and by the way, when you do compare America to some countries, America does pretty good in taking care of children. If you travel across, I mean, children are looked at as pure property or just as a, as a get quick, you know, get rich quick scheme. And then there's so this flip side of it, from those who are abusing and, and uh, you know, neglecting their children here in America. Then you have the other side that they make, they, their problem is they idolize their kids. They elevate their kids to the point that the kids, you know, there's, they're giving them everything they want. There's the element of whatever the child wants to do, the child does. That is, if, in my mind, that's a form of biblical abuse to that child because you're hurting them spiritually. Okay, you read in scriptures and you find out that if you hold back the rod and reproof that a child left to himself will bring, some, bring the parent to shame. I saw an example of this just here in the last two, three, four weeks, whatever it was. Um, I was with the grandkids for just a few minutes down at the park just down the street here. 
And while we were there, there was a bunch of people there. there was, they were playing a youth soccer, and so uh, the kids were playing on the stuff and started interacting with other kids. And there's one child who was right around five, six years old, uh, as he said his age. Um, that child's parent came over. The parent, the father, was a young professional gentleman. You could tell by his attire that he'd just come from work, and he was, he was a professional in the medical field. And he said to his little boy, whatever, and I'm going to call the little boy John. That wasn't his name. I don't remember what it was. But he said, John, we need to go. And the little boy just looked at him and turned and kept on going on the merry-go-round type thing. And he said, John, we need to go. I don't want to. And just kept on going. And he says, John, you're not supposed to tell me what you don't want to do. You have to come. I'm not coming with you. Leave me alone. I'm standing there. I'm going, (laughs) do something with the child. And he said, son, I'm going to leave you here if you don't come with me. And so he walked two steps, and the little boy says, bye. <laughs> so now the dad is befuddled what to do. And he comes back, and now he's going to go through the normal counting from 10 down, and he does that twice. Um, and then he's threatening the child, if you don't come now, we'll never, ever go to a park ever again in your life. You know, that's a lie, okay? You're, you're, I mean, th- that's like a preacher's exaggeration. It's just not there. And so he finally... When he said, you have to come, and he reached for the little boy, and the little boy turned and kicked him. And the dad said, well, you know you're not supposed to kick me. And so the little boy said, I know, whack, and kicked him again. And so finally, the little boy you know, came over to, you know, to the kids, and he wanted to play. But the kids on the merry-go-round said, you better go with your dad. The kids had more sense than the dad. Uh, you need to go with your dad. And so the little boy, the dad said, got to hold my hand when we go to the parking lot. I don't want to. And I'm, I'm watching this scenario unfold. I'm thinking, you're, you're, you're seriously damaging your child. Seriously, by no reproof, no correction. And you know, the Bible says that you and I are to be salt and light, which means that we're to be different. We're to be making an impact. You know, when it comes to kids, when it comes to children, not just as parents, but children as a whole, we should be different in our treatment. We Christians should be setting a standard of salt and light in how we treat kids and how we interact with kids. You know, of all places where children should be treated the way that Jesus wanted them to be treated is right here in a church setting. And that brings us back and begs the question, how are we supposed to be treating kids? Jesus talks about it. Jesus gives some explanation in Mark chapter 10. What's happening in in the gospel of Mark? If you haven't been with us on Wednesday nights, Jesus is in the last months or weeks of his ministry. He is headed towards Jerusalem. And so in his last journey, he is stopping at different places and he is teaching. He's going to teach the crowds. He's going to instruct as crowds gather. And remember, others are starting to head down for Passover. So he's going to run into some crowds who have heard about him. In this time, he is also instructing his disciples. When all of a sudden they engage something, such as on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were, they were engaged in prayer. They come down, they're not able to cast out the demons. Jesus takes the opportunity to do some instruction about how they need to be better prepared for ministry and what they need to do with a whole idea, I'm going to be leaving, you guys need to know what you, what's going on. So during this time of instruction, while he's ministering to crowds and he's, he's doing the large group, he is really focusing on the small group and instructing them. And so Jesus is in that setting and we read in Mark chapter chapter 10, what happens in this whole account and in this whole time, all of a sudden, verse 13, that as they're traveling, they brought to him young children that he should touch them. The they is unknown to us. 
It's probably by, by just common sense. Who do you think that they are who are bringing the children? It's, got, it's probably the parents, the guardians, some, some people who are overseeing the children. Now, Luke says infants. Luke uses a specific word that these are really, really young children. Matthew and Mark, when they record the account, they don't record. Uh, the word they use doesn't mean necessarily you know, preschool or toddlers or babies. It could be more expansive. So what it is, we don't know exactly what age of the children. But they're bringing the children to Jesus. Why? Well, some brought children for the sake of miracles. But that doesn't seem to be the intent here. Okay, they, that others came. It seems to be that the parents want him to bless the children because that's what he ends up doing at the time, as we read at the end of the account, that they wanted him to touch them, which it, it includes down in verse 16, he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them and blessed them. And in that culture, that idea of just laying a hands upon somebody, blessing them, calling, uh, praying for them, that this had significance. And it was a common practice even amongst the Jewish culture as a whole that they would bring children to the holy man to the spiritual leaders for that idea of a blessing, some type of impact or prayer for those children. And so they bring them to Jesus, but the passage says the, re- the disciples rebuked the people. And it uses a word that is a very strong word where it says... The disciples rebuked them that brought them. And so the idea is, you know, get the kids away, get the kids away. Now, this isn't the first time the disciples did this. The disciples, there's a couple other occasions that are written in, uh, in the Gospels, and in this book in particular, that Mark records how the disciples said, get away from Jesus. One was the Syrophoenician woman that comes to Jesus. She has a daughter who is sick. She's Gentile, and she keeps on following and asking Jesus as he's traveling to her town, please, please, help me, help me, help me. And the disciples tell Jesus, they say, we need to put this woman away because she is seeking, you know, he, basically their comment is this, send her away for she cries after us. That's what's recorded. So Jesus, send her away. And they don't want her to have to do with them. Now, when the crowd of 5,000 is there, they say to Jesus, send the people away. Have them go because there's not enough food here. Just let the crowd go. And Jesus is having compassion on them. Jesus says, minister to them. But they say, no, send them away. And so what happens in this text, they rebuke. This strong term, just keep the kids away. Keep the kids away. And we don't want the kids to get near Jesus. The, the question is, why are they doing that? And you probably have better answers. Maybe they were being protective of Jesus. Maybe they were trying to control the crowd. Maybe it was a busy, busy, busy day. Jesus is getting tired. They're looking out for him. Maybe they've had a busy day and they're looking out for their schedule. But the, all in all, they're just looking and saying, keep the kids away. And remember in that culture, kids are not important people. Yes, they're considered a blessing, and they're considered to be, um, you know, a treat from God, Psalm chapter 120, Psalm 127, 128, and yet at the same, uh, the other side of the coin, in that culture by modern age, or that is the time of Jesus, the kids were supposed to be seen and be quiet. They're not supposed to be actively engaged. They weren't even considered in that whole general culture to be above much above a slave. They were property. They were going to help. They were an asset. And their, their ability to help the family didn't come into, into real help until they were upper age where they could contribute to the work. So in many ways, those toddlers, those young school, you know, preschoolers, they were in interference and intrusion. And we hope that they survive and they get to an age where they can contribute. So it's a different mindset that they're dealing with. And the disciples have this mindset too, that children aren't really important people. Just like those lepers aren't important people, that Gentile woman's not important people. People that get in our schedule aren't important. And so they tell them to stop coming to Jesus. It's interesting in light of what was said just 
within a few days or day or hours before, back up in the text. The disciples have a discussion amongst themselves earlier in the text about who is supposed to be uh, the, the individuals who, um, who are important. And they're walking around and they're saying, as they're traveling down in Mark chapter 9, they're traveling and along the road. Jesus is somewhere in the mix of them. And they're having an argument. And Jesus turns to them. We read about this in Mark chapter 9. Jesus turns to them and he says, what is it, verse 33 of Mark 9, what was it that you were arguing amongst yourselves or disputing by the way they held their peace because they're ashamed, they're embarrassed, for by the wayside they had disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. And Jesus responds, and this is what we talked about in the last two Wednesday nights, he sat down, called the twelve and said, if any desires to be first or the greatest, the same shall put himself in a position of serving others and uh, being last of all. He took a child. Now this is interesting. Okay, this just happened. He took a child, set the child in the midst of them, and when he had taken the child in his arms, he said unto the disciples, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receives me. And whosoever shall receive me receives not me, but him that sent me. If you're going to please the Father, if you're going to please me, one of the things you need to do is you need to show these children that they're valuable. Receiving them, welcoming them, greeting them, doing something for those little ones that you would do for somebody who's an acquaintance, somebody who's a peer, somebody who's, who's a prophet or a rabbi coming through and pay attention to those children. He had just preached that to them. And then in that same discussion, he mentions in verse 42, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it's better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And we explain what that all means. But in the context of their travels, Jesus has just just talked about treating children, welcoming them. Jesus has just talked about not offending little ones, peoples, individuals, peoples in the faith. And here they are, they're rebuking and saying, keep the kids away from Jesus. It's an amazing situation that they have just been taught to extend themselves to children and they are saying, get away kids. What a contradiction in their discipleship. No wonder he has to teach them how to do things right because they're just not getting it. And so in that context, Jesus rebukes them. In fact, the wording that's, that's here, it's clear. Jesus, in the King James, it says Jesus was much displeased, which is just a profound statement. In fact, it, it, we should probably add something here to give you the sense of what this word never is used in the Gospels of Jesus except for in this passage. It has the idea of become irritated immediately. To be roused to anger right away. We know Jesus was roused in anger when he was at the temple. But that's, that, in that setting, he was watching it take place for a while. And so his anger, his ire, his righteous indignation, it grew. In this case, he immediately responds. This is something that he is not going to tolerate. He is not going to just let it go by. He, he immediately responds to his disciples with a harsh, sharp, pointed rebuke and stops them and instructs them. Rather, he goes on, he says, you, from here on out, you allow, you suffer the little children to come on to be and never again forbid them. Never. For of such is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is very firm with the disciples. And he, by illustration, by comments, he tells us how we are supposed to think and treat children. 
Which, by the way, this was an instruction for the disciples. It's instruction for us too. How are we supposed to think about and treat children? Can I just draw three applications from this text? That what this text is going to teach us is some practical approaches to children's ministry. Attitude about kids. Here in a setting where we Christians are to be different than the world. Now, this text is used in many ways to support a lot of stuff. Um, there's terms in theology we call exegesis or eisegesis. Eisegesis is to put something upon the passage. You know, this is to say, oh, this is what it means. Exegesis is just to say, what is this Take out of the passage. Let the passage teach us. There's a whole lot of eisegesis that's done with this passage. People reading into it what it doesn't say. This passage has nothing, nothing to at all that these kids got saved because of their parents' faith. Okay, let kids come to me as long as mom and dad is born again. The kids are going to be going to heaven. The kids are saved because of their parents' faith. Okay, we know this. That, yes, it is important. Your faith should be passed on to your children so they have faith and they get to heaven. But just because you're saved doesn't mean your kids are saved. And yet this passage is used that way. So preachers, commentaries talk about you end up believing in Christ, therefore your entire family is going to be spared and be in heaven and they will be secured for all eternity. Passage never says that. It never says that. It never says kids are saved because the parents have belief in Christ. The passage never says that when children die, they go to heaven. Okay, that is moved more by emotions than it is by exegesis of this text. This text doesn't talk at all about children dying. And therefore, those children are going to heaven. There are other texts that allude to that possibility. This is not one of them. There are, there are those who say this passage teaches children are supposed to be baptized. I don't know about you. I don't see any water in the text. Spurgeon called this text, he says, this text doesn't even have a shadow of a ghost of water in it. There's, there's no water. This passage has nothing to do with baptism. In fact, the, doesn't the gospel say that Jesus didn't baptize people? He himself, but his disciples did? So bringing them to Jesus is not somehow he's doing some ritual with them. It's not there. It's not there in the text. Okay? Some say, well, this is the establishment of a child dedication service. That's why it's biblically commanded that we're supposed to have child dedication services. Okay? We can do it. We don't have to do a child dedication. But this passage doesn't teach it's a mandate from Jesus Christ. That we have to have that type of a service. Nor does this passage teach that it is biblically wrong to set up parameters that if some child comes to a ministry and that child is non-conforming. That child is, is harmful to the other kids. The child is brutal, hits, attacks, or does something that we, we would be wrong to ban a child from a ministry because of their bad behavior or dangerous behavior. This passage says that would be sinful. No, this passage doesn't say that. It does, it, we don't get any sense out of this text that says that somebody was being disruptive. There are other passages that do tell us that if somebody is disruptive, we're supposed to be taking care of that and have order and decency within the church. So what does the passage teach us? Let's not jump to conclusions that aren't there. Let's be biblical in our interpretation and application. We should value children the way Jesus valued children. That is something in this text. 
That is something that's clearly portrayed. We should value children the way Jesus valued children. He already said it. If you receive the children, in my name you receive me. Value children. Personally spend some time with the children. Jesus willingly personally interacted with the children. The text, he clearly enjoyed some time with the children. And by the way, I don't mean to be irreverent in any way, they weren't his kids. So when we talk about children, it's not just your children that we should be interacting with. Not just your children that you should enjoy to try to encourage. He personally paid attention to other people's children. Jesus, in his conduct, he was concerned about children. Enough that he blessed them. If you read the last part of verse 16, he did do what they were seeking. He did pray over or pronounce some type of word blessing upon those kids. Jesus was concerned about those kids. Jesus was interacting them. He wanted to bless them. So how does that look today? How do you and I act like Jesus when it comes to valuing children? Well, I think what it would mean right away, especially if you're in conversation, put the phone away. Spend some time talking to the kid, to the child. Take time from your busyness to personally let them know how important they are, especially you as a parent, you as a grandparent, you as as a sibling. Take time, parents, to be with your kids. I know that many of you work, and you work, and you work, and you labor, and you're, you're, you're doing an, a yeoman's job of providing for your family. But they need more than just the checks that come home and all the things you can provide. They need you. I know this. We have to let kids know how important they are. William Gladstone is standing before the House of Commons, and he's explaining what happened there years ago, that the princess, Princess Alice that uh, she had all of a sudden had a tragedy in her life. The story backs up, and as he's telling the House of Commons, he's crying and sharing about her concern, her care for her child. One of her little girls ended up developing diphtheria. They were told, whatever you do, don't get in close facial contact, and they didn't understand how everything worked at that time, but do not have personal touch or get within her breathing space of your daughter. And the princess, the princess was struggling so much. There's her daughter. There's her child. Her child that she loves dearly who's sick and who could be dying. And her daughter looked up at her and said, Mommy, kiss me. And Mommy did what Mommy would do. Mommy kissed the child without thinking about risk to herself. And in that case, Princess Alice developed diphtheria and passed away very suddenly. And it was all about her concern and showing and trying to be an encouragement. In this text, he is calling us to value kids. He doesn't say we have to put our life in danger. That's a drastic example. But the idea is show them that they're valuable. I would think that this is the most appropriate time that I should take the opportunity to thank you, thank you, thank you. To the many of you who value the children enough that you take time out of your schedules to watch them in the nursery. That you take time out of your life to prepare lessons to teach them. That you value the children in this church so much that you would go and provide help and assistance in children's work. In Calvary clubs. In the junior churches. Thank you, thank you, thank you for valuing the kids in this ministry. Thank you for personally trying to interact and help out other people's children. Thank you for doing that for my grandkids. Thank you to the many who had done that over the years for my kids when they were children. Thank you for ministering this way. For saying they're valuable. 
Never, ever, ever conclude that you are too old or you are you know, too young, for that matter, to make connections with the young people. Interact with them. Communicate with them. Even in a fellowship time, talk to the kids. Let them know that you think they're important. Let them know you're praying for them. Make it a goal to personally talk to some child on a weekly basis. It is amazing how those little kids look up to the teens who look and talk at them. It's amazing how the little kids will, will so, think it's so great if you who are college age just walk up, ask them how their week went. They will be your loyal companion dog that will follow you all over like a pet because they will love that you spent time just talking to them. And that's what Jesus tells us to do in this text by example. That like Christ, pray for some kids specifically. Your own as well as others in the church. Value the children. Can I give you a second thought? Uh, let me, uh, the story. Oh, I forgot about that. I want to tell the story of a gal whose name was Evelyn Brand. She ended up growing in time through her ministry be called Granny Brand. She ended up with her husband in the hills of India, in the northern part of the country, ministering some in very impoverished sections. He was there ministering. She wanted to give her life to the, to the Lord. And so initially in the early part of her, her uh, years of high school, college age, she did a lot of missions work there in London. And she ended up hearing about him and dedicated her life. She's going to go help out the ministry. She goes to India. She's working in a missions agency there. She and Mr. Brand, who had first preached and got her heart stirred that way. They ended up having more and more of a contact with one another, got married. They continued to minister there in some of those really, really remote places. They end up having two children, health issues. They have to come away. The war comes. They have to stay away. They end up going back. Her husband dies. And she stays there and ministers and ministers and ministers for a number of decades. And she came to be known as Granny Brand. And one of the things that she often did is as they traveled, peoples there in that northern country, if they didn't want their children, because it was too much pressure to raise the child, the child was difficult, the child had sickness, or the child was, they just had so many children already, they would leave the children by the side of the road with the hope that maybe somebody would grab the child or the child would just be taken away and out of sight, out of mind, and become bait for some animal. Well, Granny Brand picked up a lot of those children. And she started, they built extra buildings, and she basically, without even trying to do it, she ended up with an orphanage and having numbers of children over the years. Well, time has passed. She has passed and gone to be with the Lord. And her son, Paul, who is a medical physician, comes back, and he's visiting one of these regions. And when he came into the region, there's a huge celebration. Numbers of Christians, dozens, 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 into the hundreds of Christians are meeting, and they're going to have a celebratory service, and they're going to thank God for the brand. And during the course of the service, there was music, there was testimonies about how his parents had such an impact. And one group of ladies, there was about a dozen of them, got up, they got up on the platform, and one of those ladies stepped forward. And she said, I'm speaking on behalf of these ladies, around, like I say, a dozen or 14 of them, I forget the exact number. And she said, Granny Brand used to pick up children by the side of the road. 
I was one of those children that was left by the side of the road. Granny Brand, she helped raise me. She encouraged me. She, she helped to teach me some basics. She, when I started going to school, I had a problem with learning how to read. And she says she would help me at night as well as so many of the others who were in, in the, behind nodding their heads. It's just when I got to be old enough, Granny Brand said, you need to go away for, for schooling. And she says, I didn't want to go to school, but she encouraged me. She even paid for part of my schooling. And she says, I am ended up going to school and loving school and Granny Brand would write to me on a regular basis and she would encourage me and she would send me some money every so often though I knew she didn't have enough money herself to keep on going. I've got, I've ended up getting my master's, my doctorate, and now I'm working in the medical field and I am helping to organize a clinic and to help do some variety of health clinics here in this region to help out the people. And she says, I wouldn't not be where I'm at if it wasn't for Granny Brand. What a testimony that that woman had had such an impact on so many children who grew up to be productive contributors to their community and to the Christian ministries there. Who are you trying to value? Which children are you trying to encourage? There's a second very clear description here in this text. We should help children spiritually. We should not only value them, we should help them spiritually. Jesus says, don't keep the kids away from me. He says, let the kids come to me. And then at the end of verse 16, he blesses them. He's going to minister to them in whatever way that ministry, whatever it involved, that blessing that he did to them. And so Jesus is making it clear that we too should be involved in, in helping children to be able to come, not, not physically to Christ, because that's not possible anymore, but come to a place where they can be blessed by Christ today. How do we do that? How do we help? How do we avoid keeping kids back from learning about Christ, getting in contact with Christ? Well, how it looks today is we need to realize children need help to come to Christ. Faith come by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, but how should they believe if there's not a preacher? You need to be able to share the gospel. Don't hinder children coming with good knowledge about Jesus Christ. And when they understand, don't hinder them. Don't keep them away from him. In fact, assist them in their understanding and with their clarity of what it means to believe in Christ. What it means to repent of sin. Help them. Guide them. Direct them. As a parent, this should be your your first responsibility and priority. I know that you want to prepare them. You want to help them to be able to handle the things of this world and how to, how to do work and how to do business. And that's wonderful. That's great to get the degrees. Yeah, but they need to know Christ. As a Christian parent, your greatest goal is to make sure that your mission field in your home is reached with Jesus Christ. The people that you should disciple, first and foremost, is your own offspring. So you don't want to hinder them from coming to Christ by your example. You don't want to hinder them from coming to Christ by not providing opportunity for learning of Christ, for worshiping Christ. You don't want to do that. You don't want to discourage them in that ways. You don't want to to take opportunities away from them to be able to learn more about Christ, to be close to Christ. You want to provide opportunities. You want to give them the books. You want to give them the opportunities 
to be able to get involved with ministries that can help in discipleship. Like it could be here, the TNT ministries. It could be in the Sunday school ministries. It could be in Bible studies you conduct with them. It could be apps that you provide that they can, it will help them with devotions, help them with their basic understanding. Do what you can to help them to learn more about Jesus Christ. Help them to grow spiritually. Can you hear a third thought that comes here? It's what he says in the next verse. It's related, but it's, it's a shift. He says, oh, by the way, truly I say unto you, verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Jesus is making it clear that we should value kids, we should help them to grow spiritually, but we need to be childlike in our faith. And so he makes that comment. It's a true statement, he says. Don't, disciples get this. This is a very important statement. Truly, truly, I say it to you. This applies to everyone in this room, whosoever. Whosoever, there's no exceptions. Shall not receive the kingdom. Shall not welcome that opportunity to have that kingdom of God, have that idea, that spiritual existence with Christ. If you don't, if you don't take that in like a child would take it in, then you're not going to be there. And so he makes it very clear. You're not going to enter therein. And so you and I have to ask this question, what is childlike faith? What does it mean when he says having faith like this child? What does that look like? Here, one parent was writing about an instance that their child helped them to learn what childlike faith is all about. First, let me start by saying that God has shown me what, an un, what unwavering faith can do. On Sunday, when we lost our dog by the name of Lucy, my husband and I were sad. I was careful not to cry in front of our son, Aiden, because I did not want him to get overly upset, but, we, but he knew we were sad. He told us, he says, don't worry, Jesus will take care of Lucy. Sweet and true, but I wasn't sure if he really knew what he was saying. Then on Monday morning, Steve was on the computer, and I heard Aiden tell him, quote, Jesus will bring Lucy home, to which we answered, well, we hope so. That night as we were going to bed and Aiden was saying his prayers, he said, Jesus, thank you for bringing Lucy home. Not, he didn't pray, will you, or please, but he said, thank you. And Lucy still wasn't home. This is when I knew that Aiden believed what he was asking, and I was amazed and wanted so badly to believe with him. I must even admit that part of me was worried that he would be disappointed. He never wavered. He was sure. So I figured I would join him. If he believed strongly and was that convicted, I would go along with him. I started agreeing with him and praying like he prayed, but I must admit, I still had that piece of me that was a tad doubtful. I even prayed that God would use this to help teach Aiden how powerful faith is. And today, when Aiden saw Lucy, he didn't even seem surprised. As a matter of fact, he said, quote, I told you Jesus was taking care of Lucy. Anyway, I learned so much on faith from a three-year-old this week, and what I pray is that God will teach me how to become more like my son and help me to be a mother that builds the faith in the child and not let life destroy such simple faith. Faith is like the uh, Edda Butterfield talks about how her husband's working with a group of, of mentally challenged individuals, and he has this workshop. And faith is like the young man that he had taught how to work on some electrical things to, to repair. And he had told them, if you have something broken at home, you bring it, we'll repair it. Faith is the next day that young man comes with a toaster under one arm, and under the other arm is a loaf of bread to toast. That's faith. That's faith. Faith is that idea of you and I believing. Let me throw this out to you as we wind down. 
What is childlike faith? When you read this text and it says, have faith like a child, what does that mean to you? Surely there's got to be something here. What? They know they're needy. Excellent. What do you mean? Okay. Is that the extent of childlike faith? Okay. I don't want to drag this out, but what? How do you explain with a, with along with these statements? What is believing like a child? Childlike faith. What's that? No doubt. Taking the Lord at His word. Dependence. What do you mean by dependence? Children are right. I don't think most of the kids who are in junior church right now have a job. And they're going to be worried about what's in the checking account this week. Are most of them saying, oh, how are we going to pay the electrical bill? Is that true? Yeah, they don't. So I just started listing with you. Children are trusted. They're trusting of others, are they not? Uh, children are helpless on their own, are they not? Children are easily, they believe what others tell them. Now, some of us take advantage of that, you know, to tease them. But it's true. Children easily believe. They're dependent upon others to provide for them. Children live off of what others do and do for them and provide for. They don't try to buy or earn their basic provisions. Children come to parents at times when hurt, when happy. They come a-running. Children, as we go on, they seek their parents' approval. Children seek time to be with their parents. Children usually have basic humility about them. Children usually avoid relying upon personal clout or finances to impress you. Okay, children as a whole usually don't need to know all of that's what ahead of them. They just, okay, mom and dad are going to say everything's okay, they move on. Children usually contribute little, but they enjoy a lot. Okay, children take a lot without giving much in return. Do you and I have that type of faith? Where we are believing simply that we are taking God as word. Now that's what it involves in entering into the kingdom of heaven. And most everyone here has had that moment where you just said, I'm a nothing. I don't have anything. I can't provide this. I'm not going to try to impress you, God, with my wealth and with my abilities. I'm totally dependent upon you for forgiveness of sin. Praise God he forgives us. But even beyond that entering into the kingdom, which it doesn't specify here, but he has already talked about that when he says, oh, you who have little faith. Just the chapter before, he's rebuking them. They didn't have faith enough to pray regularly. They didn't have faith enough to cast out the demons. There is that whole idea that he's trying to grill into the disciples. You need to have childlike faith, childlike faith, childlike faith. And you need to repeat it, repeat it. The archer who won the Olympic medal, Darrell Pace was in New York area and he was doing an exhibition afterwards and he would take the metal tipped arrow and he would shoot the different bull's eyes and so he's going on and people are wowing and wooing and being amazed and all of a sudden he takes an apple and he does you know the uh, apple thing he says who's going to hold this apple up and I will shoot the apple out of their hand 
There was nobody volunteering. They were even more silent than you were a minute ago. Okay? Nobody wanted to. Now, all of a sudden, because there was a news, uh, um, an ABC reporter, and he was there doing a live recording, he, his camera crew says, you should do it, you should do it. And so the individual, Josh Howell, who is doing the, the verbal commentary, they talked him into raising his hand. In other words, they raised it. And so he volunteered, he gets up there, and he talks about how he was very, very nervous. And he said, just hold the apple without shaking. And so he was holding it still like this. And Pace goes over there, and he draws the bow, and the, the apple's shaking even more. But he says, don't you believe me? Are you nervous? Just trust me. And he shot, and guess what happened? He hit the apple. You were expecting something different, weren't you? He hit the apple, it shattered, and Howell was just, oh, he was so excited. This is fabulous, this is fabulous. Yes, you know, I believed, and I had trust, and you know, I wasn't that nervous. And all of a sudden, the camera guy came up and said, can you do it over? I didn't have the lens off the camera. <laughs> How many times are we approached with a do-over of another, another opportunity for faith? Do it over. Childlike faith is, we're going to trust, because God has proven himself faithful in the past. So, what do we work on this week? Let's work on valuing kids. Let's work on trying to help those kids spiritually. That might be for some of you looking and saying, let's get involved with the children's ministry. We're going to encourage childlike faith in our own hearts this week. Acting more childlike, not childish, but childlike in trusting the Lord. In doing what we heard this morning, trust, 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 like a child would trust. Let's take advantage of our fellowship this evening just to encourage and to interact in this area. Talk to some kids tonight.